We're going to turn to the prophet Isaiah. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the prophet Isaiah for a final time this Advent Christmas season. We have heard whispers from the prophet and cries, cries of a coming Messiah, a righteous ruler in the line of David who would deliver his people, both from the enslavement of neighboring countries as well as from the slavery of their own sin. And so the Lord is going to extend this rod of discipline uh, upon his people that they might return to him, but as the shepherd who is also the lamb, he's going to extend his arms again to pardon their sin in full. Uh, so we've seen this, the prophet's vision unrolled, fulfilled in part through the arrival of the Lord Jesus, and it will be fulfilled completely uh, when he returns to consummate uh, his kingdom. So with Isaiah, we're going to lift our eyes to the horizon for a few minutes this morning and uh, really consider what is taking place already, but is not yet fully realized. Uh, so we're in Isaiah 60 this morning, and we'll look at the first seven verses. This is God's word. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Seba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaiot shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. We'll stop there in the reading of God's word this morning. Coming out of our message last week, we know that the grass withers and the flower fades, but it is this word, the word of our God, that stands forever. Let's pray together. Lord God, it is your word that is forever fixed in the heavens, and you are working this word to accomplish all that you intend now in our hearts and in our lives. And so we ask that you would make us attentive in these moments, that your word would be spoken rightly, faithfully, that you would block out that which is untrue and unhelpful and that you would feed us by your living word. And we thank you, Lord, that you do this in spite of ourselves. It is you who is working your word to perform it. And we are grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the gifts that I received for Christmas, it wasn't the heavy equipment that Jack has to work with, but um, one of my daughters gave me a wall hanging, and it was a baseball-themed wall hanging. I know that surprises you. Um, but it said stadium entrance on the top, and then there was a sign for concessions going this way, and another one for batting cages, another one for you know, the bullpen or something like that. So I look forward to hanging that on my office wall. It had me thinking a little bit more about baseball. It doesn't hurt, 
you know, it's not quite baseball season yet, but we can be thinking about this great game. And, but a gentleman who was walking towards a park in a small town in like a, you know, pick your small town in rural America. It's got a couple of little league ball diamonds and there's no, you know, big flashy signs with what inning it is or how many outs there are. And this man noticed a, a little boy was standing by the corner of the dugout. And so he decided to walk up to the fence and, and he asked the boy, so uh, what's the score? And the little boy sort of cocks his head and says, 18 to nothing, we're behind. And you go, oh man, you know, that, that must really be discouraging for you all. At which point the little boy turned to, to face the man and with absolute seriousness on his face, he said, why would we be discouraged? We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> That, that's, that's the kid you want on your team, right? That's the attitude. You know, don't count us out. We'll, we'll get our turn. There's still hope here. Um, that's, that's the one you want on your team. If there's anything that could discourage a ball team, it's being down 18 to nothing uh, halfway uh, in the first inning. Easy to throw in the towel, but not for this, this little boy. There was still hope in the midst of some pretty, uh, pretty grim uh, news. And the time that, that the prophet Isaiah is bringing this vision, the word to God's people is sounding pretty grim. Um, they're going to be laid low by this rod of discipline from the hand of the Lord. And we know that uh, the Lord is going to humble and bring down the Babylonians. There's a bit of good news, but not before uh, his people are laid low. They have not listened. They have not turned to the Lord. They are going to, to sit in the dust under the oppression of their enemies. So it's like 18 to nothing for the people of Judah. Um, and I, maybe it feels like here in the heels of 2020, like maybe you're down 18 to nothing. Um, maybe you feel like you and your, your family have taken a royal beating uh, by the circumstances, by the events of, of this last year. The Lord's rod of discipline has been heavy upon us, but also just living in a world that's been, been twisted, um, scarred by sin. I uh, just think of how, how we have been laid low in this last year, ways that we could never have imagined before. But we're not out of the game. Okay, there, there's still hope here, thinking about what is ahead. What's ahead for God's people? How can we go into another year with, with the peace that Heath was talking about just a few minutes ago? And we have another word from the prophet, not, not really a whisper, it's a cry of what is to come. And we, when we know what's to come, when we know what is certain, um, there, there's great hope, even for this very moment, uh, before we even get into the new year. Not, not to overuse the picture, but the prophet Isaiah tells God's chosen people, down 18 to nothing in the first, how the game ends what the final score actually looks like. Um, and he does this by using a, a, the contrast of light and darkness. So if the apostle John is the gospel writer of light in the New Testament, Isaiah is going to be the prophet of light. He uses that imagery more than any other prophet. And God's people can look forward to a light. There's going to be a radiance to the church. God's going to accept the nations through the church. So just to, 
I guess, simplify that a little bit for your notes. We see the, see the brightness of the church and the brightness through the church. You know, how many times do you think the prophet Isaiah saw the sun rising over the Judean hills and illuminating the city of Jerusalem and the temple just saturated with light? I mean, we know the beauty of a clear sunrise, don't we? And how it just disperses the darkness. Isaiah is using this imagery uh, to show God's people and to show us something that much greater. That the Lord himself will rise over Zion. He's going to, to fill the city, fill his people with glory. And whose glory? Did you catch that? My glory? Your glory? The, the glory of, the, of the, the collective church? Of all the glorious things in creation? No. No, that this glory is the glory of the Lord. He is the source of light, illumines, shines upon his chosen people. The Lord is pleased to show his glory to a people who are in darkness. Uh, if you have ever been in a cave, or if you've gone on one of these cave tours, we did as a family a few years ago to Mammoth Caves, and at one point, the, the tour guide says, okay, everybody, make sure your phones are off, you know, darken your watches, and then they turn off the few lights that are actually in the cave. And you talk about darkness. I mean, you, you cannot see your hand in front of your face. There's no, there's no breeze to sort of alert your other senses. I mean, it is thick, deep darkness. And it helps us understand what the prophet means here in, in a spiritual sense. Okay, this darkness is the effect of sin. It's, it's a moral, a spiritual blindness. And the whole world is, is figuratively stuck in the cave, swallowed up by this darkness. And, and we're not exempt from this. God's people, the church is not exempt from this, from all of the calamity and the confusion and the, the consequences of sin. I mean, our experiences show us that the darkness presses in close. It can be suffocating at times. It may be your own battle against an addiction. It may be battle with, with physical ailment or chronic pain. Maybe relationships that, that just don't seem to move past this place of, of tension or distrust. It may be just the, the affliction and deception of others that's weighing upon us. The darkness presses in, but then something just marvelous happens. When we are, are in this darkness, when we can't see a thing, we're completely disoriented, blind, God still sees. It doesn't matter how deep in the cave we may be, how, how trapped in sin we may find ourselves, God still sees. He sees and cares for his own. Verse 2 there, the Lord will arise upon you. The people in darkness will see a great light. We read those words back in chapter 9. So do you remember what happens next on this cave tour? When you're all enveloped in darkness, the tour guide strikes a match. You know, that one little match, that little light is enough for you to sort of get your senses 
reorients you to where you are in the cave. This is what God does in his grace, in his favor. He shines the light of darkness upon his people and for his people. And so the darkness has to flee. The guilt and the shame of sin reorients us to reality. The reality of God's love, the beauty of his design that we would come, that we would worship him and him alone. This is the brightness of the church. The glory of the Lord that brightens his people. It's, it's a beauty, a prosperity given to the church. I'm not talking about a physical prosperity here. Or, you know, our, our, we're not hanging on the hopes of health and wealth. This is a spiritual prosperity, a benefit given to the church. His glory will be seen upon you, verse 2. Not upon everyone everywhere. God's people are not excluded from the darkness, but they are distinct from it. That's God's grace, his kindness to shine upon us, not because we have desired this, not because we have sought him out, but because he has sought us in deep darkness. And what is, what, what, what has happened, what God has done for me, for you who are in the Lord Jesus, he can do for anyone. The light of God's glory, it brightens us. We're radiant. When he comes to Zion, to his people, and he shares his spirit with them, this is at the end of chapter 59, the people then are infused. They're charged with new life, charged with this light. True of the Christian today, filled by the spirit of God. The easiest way to think about this is with your cell phone. You know, when your cell phone is losing battery life, the screen starts to dim. Maybe some of the functions don't work until the screen goes black altogether, until you plug in that charging cord. And what happens? Well, the screen lights up. It's got new life, fully functional. So it is with God's people, brightened by his glory. Okay, it doesn't mean we're always happy and giddy and smiling all the time. Nothing bad can happen. We're not impervious to the darkness, but it doesn't, it no longer consumes us, controls us. There is a joy in our salvation, a peace that, that just cannot be lost. It can't be blotted out because the light shines in the darkness. We've heard this week from John chapter 1. And the true light, the Lord Jesus, has come into this world. There was a young, uh, young pastor who was sitting by the hospital bed of... A uh, woman who was dying, and so he gently uh, whispered to her, you know, they say the time is short. Um, have you made your peace with God? And the woman turned her head slowly and said, no, I, I haven't made my peace with God. He said, well, you're not afraid to die. It could be just a few hours that you'll be before the Lord, and you haven't made your peace with him? No, she said, I'm not going to. And the young man could see, could see a light in her face, that there was more behind this. And so he, he probed a little further, well, well, what do you mean? And she said, listen, I, I know I am dying, yet I do not fear meeting God. I am resting in the peace which Jesus Christ has secured for me. Um, I don't have to make peace with God. I'm resting in the peace which Jesus has already made. That is the brightness. 
That is the light of God's glory in his people. And that light of salvation, that, that brightness, that's going to be seen by others. It will be seen the world over. Nations shall come to your light, kings to the brightness of your rising. Unless last week we were able to see that great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn earlier on in the week in the western sky there. And just, even though these planets are millions of miles apart, you know, to the naked eye it looked like uh, they were almost one star and one light reflecting the light of the sun so that we as human beings could actually uh, see these planets on the horizon. You can imagine how many telescopes and camera lenses were focused uh, on the western sky there and the horizon. Uh, but the church, filled with the glory of the Lord, reflecting his light, catches the eye of all people everywhere. All, you know, all lenses, as it were, are turned drawn to this light like a, like a magnet. It's a brightness through the church that draws them. This is what's unpacked in verses 3 through 7 there. All kings and rulers and everyone else, all who's being ruled, will respond to this light. The wealth and the worship of the nations will come to the light of God's salvation. And we see this fulfilled in part with the coming of Jesus. When Jesus takes on flesh, rulers, wise men follow that unique light in the sky to offer their praise, to offer their gifts to the Christ. That's the already fulfillment of the prophet's vision, but not yet fully realized. Isaiah's vision here lifts, lifts our eyes to the horizon, to what is ahead, the second coming of Jesus. This is much like John's vision in, in Revelation 21 or 22 or Ezekiel's vision. And the names that we read here, like Midian and Ephah, Seba, the flocks of Kedar, they, they tell us that people will come to Zion, not just from the east, but from every end of the compass, from all places. So this is, this is a worldwide gathering under the gospel and the return to Zion and the lordship of Jesus. And this, this gathering is happening right now with the spread of the gospel. But the day is coming when all peoples will see the glory of the Lord, his brightness on his church, the wealth of earthly, earthly lands is all going to be laid at the feet of the King of Kings. I think it really punctuates those closing words of John Newton and glorious things of thee are spoken, where he said, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children. No. That's exciting. This should be exciting, church family. The prophet says, you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt. It should thrill our hearts to see more join in this procession. You know, coming out of darkness and drawn to the light. To see the spread of the gospel. That's what it's all about. This is the mission the very mission of God and his faithfulness. See, his faithfulness of the covenant promise to Abram. From, from Abraham's seed, the nations of the earth would be blessed. And in Jesus, the blazing son of righteousness, that seed has come. What a gift this is from God to men. And I was thinking about this in relation to the church. We're excited at the coming of this light. 
and we should be thrilled at what God has done, what God is continuing to do through his church, to share in this journey of faith together. Um, really, a, a picture of the nations accepted and joining together you know, to beautify uh, the worship of God. That's the, that's the underlying reason why it actually stings so much when we see one separating or disassociating with the church. Again, we know the truth. We know that a brother or sister cannot be lost in the Lord Jesus, but they feel lost in a sense. It begins to underscore the importance of the church, being counted among and committed to the church of Christ. She is the radiance of his glory. The light of God's word has been entrusted to the church on the proclamation of this gospel. And Isaiah actually impresses uh, this upon the people back in chapter 2. Let me read this in Isaiah chapter 2 where he says, And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So God's enduring word, his inspired word that stands forever is entrusted to the church. Uh, and that's very important for us to remember. Um, to claim to walk in the light or to walk faithfully with Jesus apart from his church and the word entrusted to his church, that's an illusion or, or better said a delusion. Um, and that, that's painful. Um, you know, sometimes we hear of someone who's really found Jesus or... Maybe they've come alive in Jesus now that they're no longer bound to the church or have separated themselves uh, from the church. That's a great delusion. Um, I can only imagine the smile that it puts on the face of the evil one who says, well, yeah, of course you don't need the church, a bunch of hypocrites. Um, you know what's best for you. You know, you know, you can chart your own course with Jesus. And then that perception, even a boast in that, that's going to be utterly exposed before the light of God's glory. It's kind of like those, uh, those Christmas blow-ups that you see in the front yard. So we went to look at Christmas lights earlier on in the week, and, and those seem to be more popular than anything, to have a, a blow-up in the yard. And, uh, and at nighttime, in the darkness, they're fully alive and full of light. But what happens when they're exposed to the daylight? It's really kind of funny. You see all these lifeless blobs in people's yards, um, shriveled up, okay? Any false lights, any, any false glories and boasting of what is untrue, that's going to be exposed to the light of God's glory. So the light of the gospel, it's heard, it's seen through the church. And, and the elect of God are partakers in this. Now, it's not up for us to, to try and determine well, who's elect and who's not, who's, who's in the church and who's not. No, we faithfully shine and hold out the light of Christ. And those chosen of God by his sovereign mercy are drawn to that light, to walk in that light. So we can celebrate as we go into a new year. Uh, it may look and feel like it's 18 to nothing, uh, but we know how the game ends. We do. Um, we have a vision here of the new creation, 
the consummation of all our hope, and that should, that should thrill our hearts. I think that would thrill the prophet in his later years. How much more should it thrill the hearts of God's people today? Jesus is the light of Zion. All those united to Jesus by faith are brought into that light, shine brightly the light of Zion in this world of darkness. And so the word of God, the light of Zion, has come into this world in a Christmas season. So we celebrate. We can sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. But that's just an echo, right? It's just a re- reverberation of that, that deeper longing in our hearts for his return. For the light of Zion to be made known in all the earth. So until that day, we're going to keep singing another one. O come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Just as the wise men did so many years ago, the nations will come to the light of his rising. And all will bow the knee and adore him, Christ the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we adore you. Oh, thrill our hearts anew with this news that you have come and that you are coming again, Lord Jesus. How we long for the light of your rising a light that is shown in our hearts, a knowledge of the truth and the glory of the Lord Jesus. Oh Christ, may we shine brightly, radiating your presence with us, that all would come and bow the knee before you and adore you, Christ the Lord. We thank you for this word in Jesus' name. Amen.